Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, can you hear me, see me well? Yes, I can. Can you hear me, see me okay? Yeah, <laughs> love the background. Thank There. you, this is my actual room because my laptop's too old to do the green screen thing. <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. That's funny. So it's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm so excited to have you on the show. When um, Andrew from White Bear PR talked about bringing you on, I was so excited because I have never gotten to interview anybody that's done a documentary yet. So oh, it's well, gonna be something new for the show. Well, I did a lot of them, so I, that's great. <laughs> Let me just pull it, oh, okay, I can see you better now. Okay. Awesome. Ready to get started? Yeah, of course. Let's do it. All righty. So welcome to CWC. I am so excited to have you on the show to talk about your personal journey of being a composer and also your work on Disney Plus and National Geographic's Secrets of Wales series. Would you please introduce, our, introduce yourself to our audience who might not be familiar with your work? Yeah, of course. Um, I am a composer for film and TV based in New York, um, originally France. I've been living in the U.S. for a while now, um, and um, I've started music when I was just a little kid. I was maybe around four when I started the started playing the piano. Um, and then I I started to be to get really obsessed about film scores in my childhood. Um, you know, grabbing a recorder in the movie theaters to just record some, bite, you know, mm -hmm. like just some bits of, 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 of movies audio so I can just play it again in my room afterwards. So I was already obsessed with it. And I think it was more of a dream than, you know, a, a you know, something realistic, something you could make, you can do for a living. Um, and then I, so I had this like classical uh, background classical training for years um, um, in a conservatory in France um, and I ended up just switching uh, path at some point when I was around 17 and I did a lot of uh, advertising communication jobs and I ended up in tech at Google um, and I actually left my job at Google after a life-changing event um, in 2015 and that's where I really um uh I really started to be a full-time composer um and yeah I don't know if you want to know more about the background but I think that's pretty much it <laughs> absolutely if that's something you're comfortable talking about it was one of the things that Andrew mentioned in his email so if that's something you'd love to talk about on the show let's dive into it of course, you mean the switch when I when I when I left my career to to be a full time composer? Yeah, I would love to hear more about that. I until I was seventeen, I was studying to be an aerospace engineer. I no actually, way! That's that's also very cool. That explains the background. <laughs> yes. Um, when I was seventeen, I actually was the highest ranking student officer for the Idaho Science and Aerospace Scholars Summer Academy that actually went and did like experiments and stuff at NASA. And then at the end of that, I was like, this, this just isn't it. 
for me. This amazing. And so that's what brought me to decide, you know what? Composing is what I want to be my path. So I'd love to hear more about how you went from Google to where you are now. Yeah, well, I wish I was, you know, as smart as you were, because then, because I I was 17 and I, I pretty much I've been kicked out of school, music school, um, because they basically told me that if I didn't want to be a pianist, a professional pianist, I had nothing to do at the conservatory. Um, so I felt really hurt and it, it was really, I didn't want to stop music. I, I really had a feeling that I wanted to do something, um, you know, I, I really wanted to do something with music, I just didn't know what. I I, just, I really knew that I didn't want it to be, you know, a performer. So being on a stage and performing for like thousands of people, that was really not what I wanted to do. Uh, but I think I just, uh, maybe I lacked guidance, you know, uh, back then. And so I just, I just um, gave up on music thinking that it was not for me. And I did, a, I, I studied, you know, communications and history in France, and then I ended up in communications and I did a lot of PR and marketing and I ended up at Google uh, that I really liked. I know it was amazing, surrounded by, you know, incredibly interesting, talented people. So that was a great period of my life too. Um, but uh, I got invited one day in, 19, in 2015 to, um, a, a Google event, a private event for PR and policy people. Uh, Ivy Road Studios in London, where I would live uh, back then. And I remember going, being like, another event that's, you know, not going to like. But, you know, I love film scores. I love music in general. I'm just going to go and see what's, ha what's happening there. And, and I ended up in the mixing room of, you know, Studio 2, um, being taken through, you know, the process of recording for movies. Uh, uh, by an engineer uh, who was a resident uh, at Abbey Road Studio. And he sh he just showed me some mock-ups of Stephen Price's score for Fury back then. And I remember being in this room with all these people in PR and policy. They were just drinking their champagne and not really caring about what was going on. And I was on the couch crying. We're like, this is just the most magical place I've ever been invited to be in. Um, I knew what a studio was and I knew kind of like, you know, the, all these wires and monitors and consoles were for. I just, I just, I, I just had a slight idea, you know, about how they would all fit together, but it made so much sense to me. Um, it, it, it was the only thing that would make sense in my life at this very point. Like, this is where I belong. And um, two weeks after I left my job at Google and I decided to just try and be a composer myself. Um, I was already kind of composing in my room, you know, trying to uh, trying to learn, um, you know, software's logic. And I was already trying to get into it. But, you know, I, I would not put anything out there. I wouldn't know, show nor, nor you know, uh, send my music to anyone, not even my close family or my friends. Uh, I just, I just didn't thought it was for me and that nav was not good enough. So, um, it was, it was tough because I started from nothing. I really literally started from, um, an industry where I would, you know, know everybody in tech, like, you know, great, great people, great friends, but from a day to another, they were, they were like 
strangers to you know what I was doing and what I was starting on my own. So that was a very lonely journey at the beginning. Um, and I yes, and I ended up just practicing for hours, hours and hours in my in my little bedroom. Um, trying to make sense of all the softwares and things that I had never learned before using, you know, my good old, you know, foundation, like basics that I had when I was a kid at the conservatory about theory and about music. Um, thankfully, I, I never stopped playing the piano. So everywhere I would go in my life from like for age four to now, I had a piano with me. Uh, there was even a time when I was living in Paris where um, I was looking for a place and I was just, you know, uh, I would sleep over at, you know, a friend in friend's apartment because I didn't have nowhere to go, but I still had my 88 keys to piano with me. That was the only thing that I had with me and my pajama basically. So I always had a piano with me, um, but when I stopped, you know, my career in, in communications, it was really, really all about, okay, now you don't have any excuse and you have to get on it and you have to practice and actually have something you're gonna put out there. So that's how it started. And that was very long, <laughs> sorry. They're all good. The great thing about a podcast is people go into it looking for a long form format. So great. somebody out there is painting their basement and this is gonna be a big part of their day. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I want to kind of get into what you were just saying. The first thing is how when you start learning music as a child, a lot of the times what you're told is you can be a performer. And that's really all there is to being a musician. People make you think that's the only that's job a, that's available. That is such a mistake. That is such a... That is, that is really a, a huge mistake because I know a lot of people that I've met at the conservatory when I was, you know, younger who were not, you know, definitely, they were not meant to be performers, but they were really good at music and, and they just left because there was no other option, at least where I was. It's probably not the same for, you know, everyone or everywhere you go and study music, but yeah, it's, it's, it's damaging. It's, it's really a shame. I was really lucky that when I was 14, my high school music theory teacher, she gave us this big presentation one day called the careers that you can have in music. Oh, and it was just an hour where she went over like 20 some different career options that That's musicians can have. And then when I got to college, there's so many people who are like, I came here to study vocal performance. And then they realize being a ethnomusicologist or being a producer or something else is actually where they shine, but nobody tells them to look mm -hmm. at those areas. They just kind of have to figure it out for themselves. Because it feels like it seems like the message that we get, especially when we're young and, you know, uh, and we don't know much about, you know, the possibilities ahead. It's, it, it feels like being a performer is the ultimate goal in anything when it comes to music and that this is the ultimate place to shine. Um, 
and I completely disagree with that. And um, I had this 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 deep deep feeling, like deep inside, that that deep down, that I I wanted to be by my piano all the time, but playing something else or just playing around with melodies that wouldn't exist, or just try to mimic the composer that I was that I was such a fan of, and it didn't feel right. It didn't feel um, legit. It didn't feel like it was something I was supposed to do. So I was doing it in secret. And I was basically going back from school and then from, you know, from high school, just going to my piano, making sure that nobody was in the house and starting to do those things. Um, but never in public, never was my parents around. And yeah, that's that's a shame. That's a shame. But at the same time, I didn't tell anybody. So I I I, I wish I had this, you know, teacher that you that you met you know, who would have told me, you know, that's totally fine. There are so many other things you could do, you know, even like, um, I don't know, improvisation or jazz or anything, you know, that's not performing classical music. I agree. I think it's something that everywhere we should be trying to integrate more into our education, show kids that being a musician doesn't mean, yeah you have to be concert master. That's not your only option. <laughs> exactly. And, and these, you know, and I have a, I have an epiphany one day because I was with them. Um, I was having a chat with some very, very established, successful violinist. Uh, and he was, he was telling me when I, when I, I, I just, I just met him listen what I was doing. And he said, like, I could never do that. I could, I could never do that. And in my, in my mind, it was the other way around. It was like, mm, because he's such a good performer, of course he can compose music and he can do something like that, that, you know, any, anybody with a background in music could do that. It's actually not exactly true. And, and it's great to be able to find our sweet spots when we, yeah, exactly. Like, as you said, when we shine and we are happy, where more, more, most importantly, where we are happy. I totally agree. One of my friends, he's a concert pianist. For the past three years, he has been practicing a Rachmaninoff concerto for oh. a concerto competition that's next year. And he's just been refining it for the past few years, his performance of it. And I look at that and I'm like, I couldn't practice one piece for that long, that deliberately. I that's could never. They, they are like... Um, Olympic, Olympic champions to me, you know, these people. And, and you know, we, we, we all have our, our expertise. We all have our speciality. And, and you know, some, some composers are incredible performers and, and that happens too. And, and it's, it's also okay to just feel more comfortable in one area. And, and it's true. I mean, I could not, and I did. I've, I was pooched so many times to train and to, you know, practice one very piece for a year. And I was like, this just doesn't make any sense to me. I want, I want to do more. I want to experience more. So, yeah. I totally agree. I had a teacher who, because I couldn't sing and my training is in clarinet performance before I got to college mm -hmm. because I couldn't sing. He said that I probably couldn't be a composer. Oh, what? What? <laughs> What sort of connection is that? Exactly. It's, it, some things oh, just well. don't make sense. 
but I am so glad to have you here and writing this amazing music. And I hope other people look at your journey and are able to relate it to their own and see, I can take this track to being a musician or people that have taken a break from music as a career or educational path. They'll see if I want to get back into it, they can. Absolutely. There's no, it's never too late to, to, you know, to follow a dream. It's never too late and it's never too early. So yeah, absolutely. I hope so. (laughs) So how did you get from there to writing the score for Secrets of Wales? Mm. Uh, well, again, it took a while. I mean, it took a while. No, it's it's it things things move pretty quickly for me. I was very lucky. Um, but uh, I I have met um, these agents based in the UK a while ago. I, it was very early on when I had started, and um, I was mostly doing short films and commercials. But they really believed in me very early on, and. Um, uh, one of them, I've met Brian Armstrong, who's a film uh, maker of the show. And it was a while ago. I think it was like a couple of years ago. And and a year after that, they came back to them saying, you know, we remember Raf and, and we would love her for her to pitch for a show that we're making right now about whales. Um, and I think that they had in mind at the beginning uh, like multiple composers who wanted to have, you know, one composer per episode, for example. And I was meant to just write, you know, the first episode. And I ended up doing the whole show because they were happy with my work. So I was really thrilled about that. So, and and the agents who got me this gig are still my agents today. So that's a good lesson that having people who believe in you very early on. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to have. <laughs> Absolutely. One second. My phone keeps going off, even though I thought I put it in airplane mode. So I'm going to make it shut up. (laughs) Okay. Back to the important conversation. What got you guys to the point of you not just doing one episode? What, how did you end up doing all four episodes? You know, I don't really know why. I think it was, uh, and how. I think it was very smooth. It, it just happened. And, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think it just happened. And to be honest, it's a little blurry. I can't, I can't really remember. remember. It just happened very quickly. Um, and we started, we, we started writing in March like last year. So basically it started when COVID started. So that was my COVID project <laughs> because <laughs> I wrote and I, 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 I've um, I've written for the show for like six months after that because we we did one episode at a time and there were some you know time in between two episodes every time um, and 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 yeah it, it just went very smoothly and it never it never felt like we had to you know discuss like you know the next step or what it's just happened like okay just do everything and that's how it happened um, but I think at the beginning, I didn't really have a sense of how big this project would be at the end. I think nobody kind of, nobody really did. We knew from the beginning that it was, you know, executive produced by James Cameron. So we already knew that it was kind of a big, you know, thing. But uh, but then, you know, we knew that it would be on Disney Plus, that Sigourney Weaver was joining, joining in. And it became this like big, you know, um, show and you know important 
show for Disney and National Geographic this year. Um, so I feel I feel really blessed to 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 have been on board from the beginning and for everything. And I also feel like good about not necessarily knowing how big it would be at the beginning because mm-hmm. I think it would have put like much more pressure on myself. Um, and pressure is not always good, especially when you want like you know the creative juice flowing. So <laughs> absolutely, so, that some people. Good- some people do really well when they push themselves to the deadline and it's like all pressure all the time but I need a little room to breathe and think yeah surprisingly I don't really have I don't think I have a problem with deadlines like on the contrary sometimes it just forces me to just you know go straight to the point and and do it and just do it I think I have have my, my issue is more with like you know the scale of the project um mm-hmm. because i'm gonna start to you know oh but this is really big a lot of people are gonna listen to that and so i have to create something incredible you know and i think that getting you know starting with like the start point of saying i need to do something incredible like the most beautiful music i've ever written is not a good way to start <laughs> a creative process um so yeah but sometimes pressure is good sometimes mm, can be an obstacle at least in my case (laughs) I definitely get that so what was that process like at the very beginning of creating the sound palette and getting ready to score this series so to be honest I already had in mind um some some creative ideas that I, I I would I would put into this project because as as a composer specifically as a French composer it's hard not to think about this uh, film in the eighties um, the Big Blue Le Grand Bleu in French and it's it's a movie about a it's a true story about a diver a passionate diver um, who's go who goes very deep in the ocean and Eric Serra the composer for the movie has created those whale sounds um and it was it it was hard for me not to be influenced by that and you know not to be not to think about his process uh, you know um and I realized that it was not at all real sound whales uh, whale sounds he had recreated them with synthesizers so I I was very intrigued by that. So of course I thought about it before I even saw the images. I'm like I'm just gonna try and do something about the the whale songs because it's so special and it speaks to me so much. Um, so I I guess that's how it started really. But then I got the images and I started writing to the pictures right away. They had stopped filming uh, right before I started working on the project. So thankfully I had the image very early on. And what I usually do for any project is that I I will wash the images for the first time with my piano next to me so I can just start. And if I have ideas, let them flow and, you know, let them come in and, and record them. Um, because I have this thing about watching it, you know, watching the images for the first time, the same way the audience are going to see the pictures for the first time. And I just want to see how I'm going to react emotionally and how this, these emotions are going to be conveyed by my music. So that's usually how I do it when I'm lucky enough to have the pictures early on. Um, 
Uh, and that's how it happened for Cities of the Wales as well. That's really cool. I feel like with documentaries, I've only scored them thus far as like assignments in class, but I feel like it's the hardest to navigate, at least for me, when it comes to figuring out how to approach it emotionally because you have narration pretty much all the time and you don't want to be too much or too little at the same time. And the spectrum is even closer together when you have that full-time narration. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that even more specifically when it comes to wild, you know, documentaries um, and the fact that it has to be epic and majestuous because that's what you see. Uh, it has to, you know, it has to be, it has to be, wait, I'm just going to turn off my phone too. <laughs> You're all good. <laughs> it has to be, um, it, 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 it has to illustrate, you know, what's going on, on on the pictures. And so it has to be epic. Like all the images in this show are very either epic or very intimate. You know, when we go from like these big landscapes or, or these big, you know, whales crashing in you know into the water and jumping out of the water and stuff like that it has to be epic but also it's a lot of music it's almost it's not wall to wall but it's a lot of music there's a lot of music so it doesn't really stop so the music is very very present um and at the same time at, at the same time it cannot be too present it has to lose some room for the narration and for the sounds also the, the natural sounds that are in the actual original uh, uh, soundtrack, which is nature. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so th th there was a lot of uh, challenges around that. You're completely right, um, and I think it's 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 especially challenging in those kind of that kind of documentaries because it has to be epic, but it has to leave some room too. So you have to find the right balance, um, and and then there is like when you go, you know. <clears throat> more into details for example there are a lot of um language features that the whales are using like all species for example beluga they have this you know tickling sound those clicks you know and i had to be very careful although the music was very epic i had to be careful about not using high-pitched instruments high-pitched high percussion so for example the piano was not an option because it would conflict, you know, with the, the, the natural sounds of the whales. So they, they, there, were, there were a lot of challenges, but at the same time, again, I was so, ha so, so free in the way I could approach, uh, you know, um, the music angles and creative ideas that it didn't really feel like it was a problem because mm -hmm. it was an obstacle, but at the same time, I had a lot of flexibility, so. My favorite part where I feel like you really captured the nature of the scene well, especially with the sounds the whales are making, was in the second episode when the whales are making that bubble net and going, the two moms are going in a spiral. That was probably my favorite cue out of the whole series that you did. The music there was felt like a ballet with mm -hmm. how they were doing that dance but still had the epicness of they're on the hunt mm -hmm. yeah exactly that was that's such a good point you're making here because that was there there was a lot of um uh 
I, I don't know how to express it. Some, sometimes my French is like, you know, <laughs> is like in the background, like, no, that's not as you say in English. But what I want to say is that sometimes the music could be very bipolar in a sense that you have to be majestuous, but at the same time, there's a lot of intimacy, you know, happening, or there's a lot of beauty, like those those bubble nests, but at the same time, it's majestuous, you know, it's 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 epic. They're they're hunting, they're hunting, they're surviving, they're you know, they're uh feeding uh their families. I mean it's it's so so there was a lot of there were a lot of stuff like that. And and also, you know, in the more playful scenes when you see those babies playing around and they it, it is playful but at the same time they are practicing and they're learning how to hunt and they could be eaten alive by like some other animal or even some other whale species like in a minute so so there's always these like you know ambivalence in the music that you have to respect and that was that 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 yeah that was a that was a big challenge but it was also a lot of fun, to be honest. <laughs> what cue was, do you think was the most fun when you look back on the project? It just stands out as, oh, I loved doing this one. Oh, you mean fun, like sounding fun or fun to do, fun to make? Fun to do. Um, I think I have, I mean, ugh, I don't know. I have two actually that I really, really enjoyed doing. There was this one. Um, I think it's in episode three. Uh, I think it's in the, um, the sperm whale episode where you see these gigantic whales coming out the water in slow motion with this beautiful sunset or sunrise. I'm not sure to remember. And the, all those birds, you know, and it's just out of this world, like what's happening there. It's it's just too beautiful to be real, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I did this like huge uh, theme that's actually recurrent throughout the show and that's the explosion of this theme it's never been that big uh ever anywhere else in the show and um there's a lot of room for the music at that point and I loved it because it for me it was it was the moment to shine you know was the music because there was no narration it was a slow motion it, the, everything on the pictures would say bring it on, bring it on with the music. It's all yours, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I had to top the beauty of what was going on there. And I was like, my music is never going to be beautiful enough. It's just so beautiful what's going on. And, and, and yeah, so I think that's my favorite. And the other one, I don't think we can use the term fun because the, what, what happens there is not fun at all. It's the, the morning mother uh, mm-hmm. that is carrying her uh, dead cow for days. Um, this is one of my favorite cues, and I think in the soundtrack it's called "The Morning Mother," and it is um, it is one scene that that was very difficult and at the same time uh, very interesting for me to score uh, because first I had no idea that whales would do that. I had no idea that you know orcas would do that, um, and then I read about it and I've heard that some like sometimes for like a few weeks they do that. They don't let go. And I, I found it so deep. Um, there's no, there's no, or maybe there is, but I'm not aware. But I don't think there is an equivalent in, you know, the human being societies 
where we mourn for such a long time, like carry, you know, carrying a body like this. It's just, it's, it was so powerful. And I had a few months old baby at home back then. So to me, it, 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 it was very powerful. And, and, and that's the one that, that really stay that sticks to my mind when I'm being asked the, this question. <laughs> But it was not fun. I mean, it's not fun. Let's be honest. It's mm-hmm. not fun, but it's it was really, really great to, to, to make. I love that story. And your music definitely was beautiful enough on those cues. <laughs> Thank you. When you were creating the music, was it all synthesizers? Was it all in the DAW? Or did you get to work with live musicians on this project? So it was never really an option uh to have live live players i think we, we could have at some point but um you know as i said it really coincided with covid when it started so it was really at the beginning when nobody would really understand what was going on and it was not even an option to even think about you know gather some musicians especially for something that's so heavily you know orchestrated um to think about that option to have like 60 70 players in the same room at the same time um, so I, everything is, has been made in the box, uh, as we say, you know, produced and mixed in the box. The only real instruments that you're going to hear, uh, are my voice and my piano. Um, and the rest was, uh, just, yeah, uh, virtual instruments. And that was, it, it was very, um, but it was twofold because in a way I had so much, flexibility and and freedom in the way I would use the instruments and as you said it's very hybrid there's a lot of electronic elements to it so it allowed me it it, it left so much room you know to add more electric electronic elements to just do whatever I wanted with you know instrumentations if I wanted to add like 50 strings you know um, the kind of freedom you would get when you, you know, when you write for trailers, because I did a lot of movie trailers and the trailers, you know, orchestras are the equivalent of, I don't know, three stadiums of, you know, <laughs> of musicians sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, the scale of, of it is really huge and it kind of reminded me that the, this freedom that you have, uh, from an instrumentation point of view. And at the same time, it's a challenge because you really want it to sound as authentic as possible, as much as possible. And sometimes it's not possible. So you have to work around it. And I would sometimes change the melody or change the instrumentation just to make sure that I find the right spot where it it's okay. It it, it sounds authentic. And that was that was specifically um tricky when it came to solo instruments, you know, because I liked to use solo strings uh, for those intimate family moments, you know, mother, mother with her baby or just a, you know, spiritual, quiet moments. And uh, yeah, it takes a lot of time and, and, and patience to, to get a result that, you know, will be okay to my ears. Um, so, so yeah, no, no, no life players on that one. And um, but but yes, but indeed a lot of a lot of electronic elements, yeah. Well, it sounds awesome. Your MIDI realization is fantastic. I just I was listening to it and I wasn't sure. I was like, is that a real violinist or I think, I think sometimes you can tell when you 
when you know for like for for purists i think it's 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 audible sometimes but uh but in other cases it's true that i'm really glad the about the result because um yeah it was not easy so i'm glad to hear that thank you <laughs> of course all right i have one more question for you today what kind of whale do you most relate to oh that's a tough one um i love them all and i, I really want to be all of them at the same time um i mean i love the belugas because they look so fun <laughs> they have this those little faces you know you want to those little, little clowns i i love them yeah. um, but i i would say that I, I cannot say otherwise than like orcas because of again this you know morning mother scene um that's where i i found myself to be to feel the closest to those animals you know uh just the sadness of you know the loss of a child um and and also the, the these grand you know this this grandma at some point orca who's you know that is teaching the grandkids how to hunt you know like the mm -hmm. grandmother playbook and it's it i i found it I've, i found it really really interesting to see how similar uh you know it takes like how similar to us they are so i would i have to say the orcas yeah <laughs> Awesome. I also said the belugas because I too like to go to large reunions of friends, even if I haven't even seen them in a year. So I can tell them all about my life. <laughs> That's what they do. They're so fun. They're all, I mean, they're, they're all amazing. It's, it's hard to pick one. They also sound like me trying to tune my clarinet on a bad day. Oh, so. that's true. Uh <laughs> clarinet. I love clarinet. You know that this is a, this is to me a, in my opinion, one instrument that we don't hear enough. Um, I'm a big fan of clarinet. I think it's one of the mm -hmm. most beautiful instruments on the planet, to be honest. Thank you. I agree. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have mm -hmm. a great rest of your day. Yes, I will. Thank you so much. You too. Take care. Thank you. Take nice care. You. Bye. Bye-bye. Nice Bye-bye. Hi guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I had a really awesome time talking to Raph about her work on this film and honestly just watching the series and learning about all of these whales. Documentaries are some of my guilty pleasures. I just love turning them on and then being able to go about my day while also just gaining all that information. What can I say? I'm kind of a nerd. And also I love that she agrees with me. The clarinet is an instrument that we just don't hear enough. For more content like this and to hear more from awesome creators working in the music industry, please be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Facebook, or YouTube, wherever you're watching and listening. And I will see you guys later this week for another great interview. Have a good rest of your day. Bye.